balance on the on the level of hormones and balancing the brain and bringing it back to normal um, because a lot of times those are patterns so like let's say something triggers you or reminds you of a traumatic experience the the stress response or the hormonal response on the brain is going to be the same as it was when it almost just happened exactly you know a lot of times so you, you first of all you got to heal that thing so that it doesn't continue happening and you can break that pattern but also it's a lot easier you know i was actually just doing an integration call yesterday with a guy who said that probably the biggest thing for him was that he doesn't have this like intense intense reaction to things you know what i mean like for him he you know the anxiety or the stress of it made it impossible to make a different choice or to make to fix that pattern because it was too intense yeah. So when it fixes the hormonal balance and, and rewires the brain and kind of levels things out to like baseline and then also heals that root problem, then when they're faced with those things, those patterns might come up because, right, you still have to rewire your brain and they might still have those patterns there, but it's not so intense and it's manageable. Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome to the Eat Real to Heal podcast. It is 2023, and this is the first episode of this brand new year, and I'm really excited to be here with you. I want to start off by just giving a few awesome shout outs to you as the listener. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all of the years that you've been listening to this show, learning from our guests, from our clients who've healed themselves using food to reverse their chronic diseases, for taking in this information, sharing the podcasts, and I wanna hear from you. So if you have any feedback for me, for our team about the podcast, please go ahead and email us at nicolette at richerhealth.ca. I wanna hear from you, I wanna know what you think. I would love testimonials. If you want to write the good stuff, the the good, the bad, and the ugly, we want it all. We just want to make this show better for you. Now, moving ahead for this year, you're going to see some changes taking place. Uh, one of the things is that I have spent the last seven years doing my research for my PhD, and my research is coming out this spring. And so we are going to be posting all the interviews from the participants that I did because the interviews are phenomenal. Now, the topic, as many of you know, is that I've been looking at what are the true barriers, the systemic barriers that exist that prevent people of color, indigenous people from being able to actually reverse their chronic diseases. Because as many of us know, many of you know, we are suffering from all of the food deserts we're suffering from lack of food sovereignty. We're suffering from a term that a good friend of mine just shared. You'll hear it on a podcast, but we are living in nutrition deserts. So there's food, there's McDonald's, there's Kentucky Fried Chicken, there's Wendy's, you know, there's all of these fast food chains, but we're missing nutrient dense food. So we're actually living in nutrition deserts all over North America. And this really predominantly affects people of color and indigenous peoples first and foremost. So the health disparities that we see out there, four to eight times um, higher rates of chronic disease, diabetes, heart disease, mental health conditions amongst BIPOC folks versus non-indigenous and non-black people and people who are not Hispanic or Asian or South Asian. And it is not because 
of genetic factors. It is not because of the color of your skin. It's not because of ethnicity, race, um, sex, age. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the fact that we can't access food. So you're going to be listening to those incredible interviews with doctors, elders, um, uh, indigenous healers from around the world who have taken the time to share their expertise towards my research for my PhD. And now we get to share that with you coming up. So if you want to uh, hear those interviews, make sure you're subscribed to our podcast. We're on I, um, Apple iTunes. We are on Spotify. We're on hundreds of different platforms. Also want to celebrate, give a shout out to all you listeners because of you. We are in the top 3% of all plant-based podcasts, which is really huge. That's awesome. I did not know that because we don't track the results, which I think is kind of funny, but that was really exciting to have somebody give us that feedback this past year. And then of course, things that you're going to be noticing as well in our podcast is we're going to be doing some uh, short podcasts. So little seven to 20 minute hits of inspiration and education for you so that you can just acquire even more knowledge, good knowledge, well-researched knowledge that is going to support you in reversing your chronic diseases. And these little podcasts, short podcasts will be mixed in with some of the longer shows that we're doing. So last shout out goes to Becky. Becky has been editing our show for the past, gosh, it's been a couple of years now. And I just want to thank Becky so much, Becky DL. She's an incredible human here in our town. She works with the Adaptive Ski Program in Whistler. She is raising a, she is raising one of the greatest kids ever out there. She cares about his health, his mental well-being, spiritual, physical, emotional well-being. You know, she's the kind of mom who's raising one of those men that are one of those boys that are going to turn into like just beautiful, incredible men in this world that the world really needs to see today. So I just want to give out a shout out to Becky for all the hard work she does in producing our podcast. Very, very glad to be doing this with you again for another year. <clears throat> now, without further ado, we have an exciting guest on our show. And you're going to get into the story of how we got onto our, our show this time. It's a beautiful story. Now, 16 years ago, when I started teaching food as medicine and eat real to heal, people thought I was teaching quackery. They, they literally thought I was teaching some cultish practice of eating high amounts of vegetables and fruits and doing juicing. People told us when we opened up our plant-based restaurants, the green mustache, that, that, you know, people couldn't survive on that food. They need their meat. They need their cheese. And that was only that was only nine years ago for that. And then 16 years that I've been teaching the Eat Real to Heal program, which is based on the Gerson therapy. And to this day, people still think it is quackery, which is hilarious considering that since 2018 alone, let alone all the thousands of studies that have been published over the last hundred years, but since 2018 alone, 68,000 studies have been published showing that a plant-based diet is far superior than any other diet out there. So I don't know, whatever your definition of quackery is, I know none of you listeners would probably think that, otherwise you wouldn't be listening to the show. But 
we are entering into a new era right now. And it's really important for you to keep your, I don't know, keep your mind open, keep your heart open to some of the topics that we're going to be bringing on the show, because we're again at the forefront of another massive movement, a movement that actually started in the 50s, but it was immediately shut down by government. If you haven't heard about it, it is the psychedelic plant therapy movement. Now, this is not going to be a psychedelic plant show. We are still all about eating plants to reverse chronic disease, like the three meals a day, the snacks, the juicing, you know, the desserts that you eat. But there is a psychedelic plant movement that is happening and the research is profound for what it means for being able to heal, help people heal from mental health conditions, PTSD, um, other emotional, spiritual, physical ailments. And it is a true movement that is grounded in research that has been there for the last 70 years. But again, once again, our governments have shut it down, just like they shut down the electric car, just down like they shut down the renewable energy sector in the 70s. You know, none of this stuff is new. So it is coming to the forefront again. Now, I will be talking about my own experience. I always talk about my own experiences with food as medicine. I'll be talking about my own experiences with plants medicine. And I just encourage you to stay open. Now, if you're listening to this, please head over to Netflix and watch Michael Pollan's film, How to Change Your Brain or How to Change Your Mind, How to Change Your Brain. It's a four-part series. You're going to want to watch all four episodes. There are so many other really profound documentaries that are out there that you can watch on that. There's a million books that you can read on it. I would say that, you know, if it is something that you've never considered, um, I would say look into it to further enhance your healing. The beautiful thing is what I see with my clients is when they eat real to heal, when they use food as medicine to heal their chronic diseases, they are liberated from the pain and suffering of their illness. And what happens to them is they feel connected to everything around them. And then what I've seen is this transition where they discover the indigenous healing medicines, plant medicines, and then they go and take their healing journey even further. It's quite beautiful to watch. Now, I was anti-psychedelic treatment for so long. Um, until I really dove into the research and being in a researcher, I mean, if you ever have questions, bring it to me because I can dive into the articles and, and support you in understanding this more. And the only reason I say this is because I think of the thousands upon thousands of people who have shunned a plant-based diet or even a plant-strong diet. So plant-strong diet, plant-based whole foods, you know, organic, and maybe sure, sometimes you do eat a little bit of meat or a little bit of dairy or something like that. But we know the research is profound. It is irrefutable that you create disease by eating a lot of animal-based products and you heal the body and reverse disease by eating a lot of whole food, organic plant-based products. Okay. So unrefined whole foods, unprocessed. So this is really important to know. So I would just feel so sad if, you know, and it's going to happen, you know, you might just say, no, I, I don't believe in that. I don't want to know anything about that. And that is fine. But for this upcoming podcast today, I'd like you to remain open 
and just listen to what Ryan Rich has to say, because he's an incredible human doing really profound work in the area of addictions, alcoholism, trauma, PTSD, healing. And it is because of people like him that put his neck out there, that go out there and they really dive into the research and then go and apply what they learn in the communities. I mean, he's changing the world, changing the world one person at a time. So Ryan is the founder of Root Healing. He is a traditional Masoko Bwiti Iboga provider who was trained and empowered to lead retreats and also offer pre-initiations to men and women. His work with Iboga includes traditional Bwiti Iboga ceremonies, and Ryan is the lead provider at most of the Root Healing ceremonies and detox programs that they provide in Portugal and in Africa. Ryan also studies, practices, Tantra, engaged Buddhism, and of course, Bwiti tradition. In addition to his Bwiti Iboga work, Ryan is a meditation teacher, a counselor, and a mentor. And he loves people. He loves to help liberate individuals from their conditioning, from their fear, and from their trauma so that they can actualize into a more fully engaged human. So without further ado, let's welcome Ryan to the Eat Real to Heal podcast. See you at the end, folks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Eat Real to Heal show. I am your host, and on today's podcast, I'm so excited to welcome Ryan Rich from Roots Healing here today. Welcome, Ryan. Hey, how's it going? It's good. It's good. It's really nice to have you here. It's um, it, it's interesting. I had just come back from a ceremony, something that I've been doing um, recently over the last year, working with a couple um, in Vancouver or in uh, Canada that um, lead ceremonies. And so this is actually very new to our show to be talking about plant medicine. And one of the reasons that I decided to go down this route is that we, I had just come back from ceremony on a Sunday and that same Sunday I received an email from Betty who manages, um, I think all your communications probably and outreach and so many things at your center. And she reached out to us to, to ask if we want to have you on the show. And when I, opened up the link to Roots Healing, there was a picture of this beautiful African shaman dancing in full tribal wear. And I had just had this experience while I was in ceremony. So that is why for any guest who is listening right now, any listener out there, and you're wondering about, you know, why are we talking about plant medicine on the show, but we're not talking about carrots and romaine and <laughs> juicing and so on. This is why it's because of this serendipitous experience. But in chatting with you, um, we got to know each other uh, about a couple of weeks ago and just chatting about like, how do we, what do we want to cover for the show? Um, it became very apparent that it, you are probably one of the most fitting individuals um, to have on our podcast as well. So, so we're going to be di diving into that. So Brian, let's just begin with this. What do you do at Roots Healing? Um, okay. Uh, well, I started Root Healing um, 
it's a, actually it's a it's a legal business here in Portugal. Uh, we started in January, and before that, I was kind of doing retreats around you know in Mexico and the United States. Actually, um, those were underground because aboga is regulated, and uh, aboga is the plant medicine I work with, which we can go into more later. Yeah. Um, but basically, at Root Healing, what we do is uh, two different things. We offer psycho spiritual retreats and uh, detox retreats. And psycho-spiritual retreats are seven days. And basically it includes two ceremonies where we'll take a plant medicine called a boga. And in between those days, we have different things like integration and uh, processing day and things like that. Um, for the detox, it's a little bit different. Uh, it's a much more intensive kind of program. So we start off by administering a boga at the very beginning, like from the person, from the time the person arrives. Um, and the reason is, is because we're trying to prevent withdrawal symptoms. These are people that are detoxing off of like heroin or drugs or things like that. Uh, and we can prevent withdrawal symptoms completely if we get them soon enough. So as long as we beat that withdrawal window uh, that they have, we can, and we start getting the medicine in them before that, then they can have a withdrawal-free detox and after two to three days be completely free from drugs and uh, not go through withdrawal symptoms. In, in that experience, they'll have some pretty crazy things happen, but actually it's after that that we start the physical and spiritual healing. So typically for a detox, it's two weeks to a month um, because we wanna have that time to give them additional ceremonies so that we can fix the root causes of the addiction in the first place. So that's perfect. I'm glad. I'm, I just wanted to lay it all on the table for our listeners so that they know exactly what we are talking about. And I mean, I know they don't know about a bogey yet. We are going to be diving into that. But first, what I want to ask is, you know, we have detox retreat centers all over the world that are have been helping people for years detox from uh, alcohol, from drugs, from, you know, things like fentanyl and the opioid crisis that we're Oof. faced with. I mean, we have these centers, but not very many of them, many of them are using um, uh, plant medicines yet, are they? No, uh, there are there are some actually. So there's a derivative of a boga called ibogaine, and that's actually been particularly popular in the addiction scene. Um, and there are quite a few of those. There's probably about twenty to thirty ibogaine clinics around the world. Um, but outside of that, no, not really. Um, I've seen some stuff with like mushrooms and things like that, but this is pretty unique approach to addiction. Yeah. But I think the best one, because uh, I don't think addiction, you know, I don't think you're actually born with it. I think it can't be passed down, correct? Like, like we were, we're gonna talk about later. But uh, yeah, it, it's, there's a root cause to that addiction. And it's mm -hmm. also a pattern that's been developed over time. So a bogus is perfect for that because it kind of cuts into, it breaks down all those old patterns and clears them away. And then it also prevents the, uh, it blocks the correct receptors in order to not have any withdrawal symptoms throughout the process. And that's why they've been using the um, ibogaine in, in the other like centers that are more conventional centers that are like government run, state paid centers, but not necessarily um, iboga. And so what is the difference between the two? Okay, yeah, I love answering this question because it's a huge difference. Uh, ibogaine is, is, is like what you said. It's like, you, typically like when you think of like a pharmaceutical drug, you know, a lot of times those pharmaceutical drugs come from a plant, you know, or we might take a supplement or something like that. They come, they all come from plants. 
A boga is like the whole holistic plant uh, that contains all the active alkaloids and everything that the plant has that's beneficial. Um, but ibogaine is like, a, is like the pharmaceutical version. It's like a completely extracted alkaloid. Um, and it is complete, it is very, very effective for addiction. It's a, it's a great tool for that. But in my experience, it's only good for detoxing. So it's only really good for blocking the withdrawal symptoms and helping the person to get back to like a drug-free state. But the problem is with ibogaine clinics is they're not approaching it from a me mental and spiritual side. And that's where a boga comes in because a boga actually, uh, when you have the spirit, when, you, when the medicine is handled correctly and stuff like that, you actually have the spirit and intelligence of that medicine as well helping. And then also you get the kind of like other, there's actually other alkaloids in a boga. So whereas ibogaine is one, there's actually two other alkaloids that have been proven in scientific studies to be almost more addic anti-addictive than even ibogaine. So on a scientific level, you're actually cutting yourself short because there's other alkaloids. They actually work synergistically and individually uh, against addiction. So just on that front, uh, you're kind of cutting yourself short. And then on the spiritual and mental side, uh, you're not really addressing those core issues the correct way. And we can get into more about like the tradition that surrounds aboga and stuff like that. Yeah, we're definitely going to uh, be diving into that. So, so yeah. tell me why they, okay. So I know from a Western medical standpoint or allopathic standpoint that we, you know, everybody wants to synthesize the chemicals out of the plant so that it's measurable. So we know how much we're dosing. So we can say that it is safe. So we can, um, you know, you can market it, you know, you can definitely understand, you know, all the ingredients and then you're able to measure it. Then you're able to sell it and generate a profit on it. And, and it's standardized, basically it's standardized medicine. But then when we do that, there's often a lot of side effects to that. Um, because a, you're not getting the entire plant. Sometimes they do it to get rid of some of the other symptoms that you would get if you were taking the entire plant. And this is not just in the plant medicine, um, you know, ceremonial work or therapeutic um, medicine work, but it's also on the supplement side. It's on the, oh, yeah. um, every prescription medicine side, like it doesn't matter what it is. There's a synthesized component to it. So I understand why that is happening, but what are some of the things that Iboga would do? Um, you, you say that these other alkaloids that are in there. Um, so some of the other um, experiences that you have when you go through Iboga versus Ibogaine. Yeah, I mean, just to touch on what you said really quick, like ibogaine is actually like, you know, like they said that to extract it and to try to be controlled. One of the things I know as someone who provides ibogaine is that they try or provides a boga is that it's not weight-based, right? But these clinicians and these, these clinics that work with ibogaine base it all completely off of weight. But in my experience, I, like in a boga retreat, you know, a 90 pound woman could take like three times as much as actually at this last retreat, we had a bodybuilder here and he was like a one scooper. So it's, it's just, it's very interesting uh, to see that it's not based on like the amount that you give the person. And then also when you're separating ibogaine, you're actually making it so that they have to take more. So like uh, ibogaine can actually be, uh, for lack of a better word, cardiotoxic. It can actually cause the arrhythmia of your heart to change. So it slows down uh, your heart rhythm, basically. So like we check EKGs and stuff like that for safety to look for pre-existing arrhythmias. 
Um, but that's ibogaine. If you're taking a boga and you have those other alkaloids along there with it, because again, it's a perfect plant. Why would you change it? Um, once you have those other alkaloids, you don't need to consume as much ibogaine to get the same effects. So I don't know if that makes sense, but like it's it's kind of, it's safer in that sense. Right, um, and you have a team of of doctors and nurses, and you even have a neuroscientist on your team as well. There, and like you know, my sister. The, yeah, yeah. So this is not simply just you know. Um, often when we see, and especially what we've seen here in Canada, and I know it's like happening all over the world, but you know, people are you know transitioning very heavily into plant medicines from a, I would say a from a recreational perspective from a therapeutic perspective from a scientific using it in a clinical setting perspective like there's many there's there's a huge movement and especially as things are getting legalized you know we're seeing it's more in the media but we also see with the recreational use is that there's some centers where you know it's it's a free for all um and you know we don't know who's administering it we don't know who's measuring it we don't know who's giving it but then there's centers like the one that i've started going to and it was really at the request of my clients my clients who discovered food as medicine to reverse their chronic diseases all of a sudden they started to experience this that have this really profound awareness that oh okay the food i put into my body is needs to be clean oh we have a relationship with the food oh we have a relationship therefore with the land the water the air oh we are nature we're all connected so my clients naturally go from you know you know, seeing themselves as separate from than seeing themselves as connected to everything. So it's natural that then they all of a sudden go and discover plant medicine, right? Of course, so yeah, yeah, it's the trajectory. It is the tra tra trajectory. And so then when they do that, then they kept coming back to me telling me about these amazing spiritual experiences that they had. And I would poo-poo it. I would say, well, you don't need to go do plant medicine for that. Like just go do yoga and have, you know, an amazing yoga practice or breathwork practice, or, um, you know, there's so many ways, go climb a mountain and stand at the top, go sit by a waterfall and you'll have that same spiritual experience. But now I have come to know <laughs> <laughs> how silly I was because, you know, we are human beings and we have these constructs and biases and we're always looking at the world through a lens. And what I have found mm. is by doing this work, and I really just did it to prove to my clients that like, <laughs> it's not going to be that profound people. And I was wrong. Um, and so since then, um, you know, the way I describe the work that I did with these incredible practitioners who are very professional and, um, and take this work very seriously and, um, and, you know, you don't just keep going back every weekend, every weekend, like for them, the integration work before and afterwards is the most important. And for them, you might not even be invited back for six months to a year, you know, or, you know, but it, there's many months in between doing it. And what I've discovered, um, it, the, the only way I can describe it, it's like going to 60 years of therapy every single week in one mm. session, like that is the leaps and bounds, you know, that I, that I've experienced, you know, just within one session. So I have a different perspective now on plant medicine. I have never done a boga and what I was really attracted to um, when, when your team reached out to us was the fact that it is being used um, to help people heal from chronic diseases like MS, which we're going to talk about. Um, and autoimmune disorders, it's being helped um, used to help people detox, which is amazing. But going beyond that, it's that spiritual work 
um, and therapeutic work, that counseling work, the mental, emotional, physical work that is all integrated with it. So I just have to, I wanted to put that out there to all the listeners um, who are listening to this now, just to know that at Root Healing, there is a, a deep level of care and respect for the medicine that um, it, it's really important. It has to happen in any center that you are working with, I find. So having said all of that, let's actually talk about how this works and, and what people can experience when they go to do a retreat or to do a detox with you. Uh, particularly individuals um, that are detoxing, individuals that have chronic illness, and we're going to talk about the chronic illness part afterwards. Okay. Well, yeah, let's put chronic illness to the side because that's like a whole separate intake process. Yes. Um, but the but basically at Root Healing, like you said, we have both uh, like modern scientific medical team. We have a nurse. Uh, she's actually a specialist in cardio stuff, so she trains people and all of that, and has I think twenty four years of experience. I wish she was here. She, I was thinking of having her come, but we we have a retreat starting tomorrow. Um, so she she's on board and she's like kind of the lead of our medical team. We also have a doctor and we actually have a BT shaman uh, on staff and four other trained uh, providers who are similar to what I do. Um, I focus mostly on the addiction side of things. And then there's another person, Stephen, who's been doing this for 10 years that kind of leads our psycho-spiritual program. Um, but really what we're trying to do at Root Healing is we're trying to bring uh, that kind of medical science side to it also because it is important, especially with detoxes and when you start talking about autoimmune diseases and, and different ailments like that, it's really good to have that medical side, um, particularly be, just like for an example, you know, there's contraindicating medi medications that are very dangerous. There's uh, contraindicating conditions and things like that. Um, so having them on staff is really helpful, but at the core of everything that we do here at Root Healing is the Bwiti tradition. Um, it's actually said that you can't have a boga without Bwiti and Bwiti without a boga. And we really believe strongly in that. And the entire tradition actually was created by a boga itself. <laughs> it was actually given to the Bwiti from a boga. So all of this, all the entire tradition actually comes from the medicine and it's like a supportive container to, to do the medicine in. Uh, so for us, that's the most important thing. Um, and all of us continue to go back to Gabon regularly. Uh, the shaman comes here. He was just here uh, about two weeks ago. And we were just constantly learning more and more from this tradition and trying to bring that at the front of everything we do. And explain more about the Bwiti tradition, where they're from and how long, um, you know, Iboga has been used. Okay, so everyone, a lot of people will give you a different answer on that. Um, in from my training, which is Masoko Bwiti, uh, Boga is thousands and thousands of has been around, has been working with people for thousands and thousands of years. It started with the Babango, um, a derogatory term that the French used to describe them as pygmies. Um, but more people might be familiar with that term, but I prefer to use Babango because that's actually what they prefer to be called. And that's where it all originated from. There's a story that we'll tell at the fire about the first time someone took a boga, but uh, without ruining that for anyone who wants to come to a retreat, yeah. I will say that one of my favorite parts of the story is that it was two women who took a boga first. So uh, actually at the very beginning of the tradition, uh, it's very matriarchal in, in a sense and supportive of women and empowering uh, both people. And uh, 
So that, 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 that's the cool thing about the origin story, but really like what you were saying about nature before, I almost felt like uh, you were giving a Bwiti teaching because it all is about, it's all about nature. And uh, even before they did a boga, it was about their connection to nature because if you go to Gabon, it's basically like the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like they have everything they need there. And so they were always grateful about having all of that stuff. And so uh, their whole approach to life is just filled with gratitude and understanding that they realize that they have everything that they need in this life. So um, basically that's where, that's like the founding of the tradition is like kind of based on gratitude. But then once they started working with a boga, they started getting the answers to questions that they had about life. And so at the beginning, a boga was kind of, it kind of came to them because they had so many questions, just kind of where, who was giving them all of this stuff and why did they, you know, why was life so easy and beautiful? Uh, and Aboga gave them answers and then it also helped guide them and it kind of gave them this tradition that came. So story goes, that's like thousands and thousands of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and from that point, from the point of the second woman taking Aboga, actually, she was actually the chief's wife because he was afraid to take it himself. um and she took it and then uh basically from that point on they started doing what we would call a psycho spiritual now but they go in there and they bring questions and stuff to a boga and to themselves and they use it to connect to their soul and to connect to the spirit of the medicine and uh nature like you were saying um so basically that's when like from that point they actually started what are called initiations and Initiations are, uh, it's like, an, it's an amazing experience and every single person in Gabon almost does it. I mean, anyone that's practicing Gwiti, there is a lot of Christianity now that mm-hmm. there and other religions, but uh, anyone practicing Gwiti has to do this initiation. And they usually do it when they're like 13, like, you know, early teens, which is crazy to think because they're taking a lot of medicine and they're going deep. And uh, yeah, if anyone who's done a boga, uh, and who's done an initiation kind of knows, but uh, particularly them, they take higher doses. And so it's, a boga is just like, it's part of their culture. It's part of their lives. It's actually the national treasure of Gabon. Um, yeah, the president, Buiti, you know, they're like, it's it's everywhere there. And uh, and it's kind of always, it's been there since that very beginning with the Babango. And what's beautiful about it is the tradition keeps, uh, the tradition's very oriented around how to be, yourself completely and how to love yourself and how to just be in society or just be in the world um and you can kind of see it's like one of the first teachings of Bwiti was actually that um every you know everything is nature and that nature is there for us Mm -hmm. but we can use it but don't abuse it and I really like that first teaching uh like early teaching of Bwiti because it kind of shows the difference of people in Gabon, the Buiti there, and us in the West now, because we've gone so far away from using it, but not abusing it. I mean, we're trying to make nature whatever we want it to be. We're trying to make the world how we think it should be, instead of appreciating how it is. And And because we've... Well, and I just want to jump in there because it's every indigenous culture around the planet virtually lived this way as well. They, you know, they knew intuitively instinctually because they were connected to nature that 
you don't take more than, you know, in some cultures, more than 30% of what's available or more than 20% or more, but never more than 50% because regeneration had to be in place. Otherwise it would be gone forever. Whereas we now live in a place in the West where it's like, take it all, there it is, harvest all the gold, harvest all the metals, harvest all the wheat, like plow down all the trees, like, you know, no respect and regard for the future. And, you know, I heard one of the best definitions of what it means to be Indigenous, and it means you're always thinking about the seven generations ahead, and you're thinking about the seven generations behind, and that's what it means to be Indigenous, but we, we have lost that completely, but what I do see happening with plant medicines like aboga and and like the things that I've done is that it, it gives you it gives you that ability to remove your human filter like our western societal filter <laughs> right that is honest yeah. that is like rape and pillage and like take yeah. it all and be greedy and all of a sudden that's removed and you immediately and I mean for me I can't speak for anybody else who's done it but I hear common themes is that you immediately you start to hear the teachings of the world around you. You start to be in relationship to everything around you, where I think we've lost that. We've lost that ability to be in relationship with other people, with nature, and even ourselves. And so in the West, it's why we see alcohol and drugs, um, like these, these, you know, street drugs really take a hold on us, you know, to, because we have no relationship left. Yeah, it's like what you were saying before. It's like uh, when you were saying like, there's, oh, before I did plant medicine, I thought all these ways were the same thing, you know? Mm -hmm. You can go to the top of the mountain, you can go into the river, you can eat a papaya right from the tree. And Mm -hmm. you're actually right. Because uh, if you're talking about a boga and you're talking about buiti, that is what what they're trying to teach you. They're trying to teach you that right here, right now, you have everything you need. They're trying to teach you to just be and just be in direct relationship with the world around you. And actually, that's how we're happy. Yeah. Yeah, we don't don't appreciate it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And we try to change it. I mean, if you look at the world, I'm looking out the window right now and I just see buildings and, and, uh, you know, like we've completely changed our surroundings and our environment to be whatever we think it should be. And instead of just appreciating what it is. And so, yeah, I mean, like what you said, uh, these cultural things that we have and all of that stuff, a boga goes right after that. And I don't know if we're going to talk about kind of the process and how a boga works, but that's like one of the first things it does. Is it kind of just strips away all of that conditioning and beliefs and stuff that we've picked up throughout our lives that aren't ours, mm-hmm. that isn't genuinely us. Yeah. And it really, you said a piece to you about coming back to your soul. And that was one of the most profound experiences that I had is that (laughs) we're always looking outward, right? We're like, where should I live? Where is home? You know, this, I'm going to find my spirit guide. I'm going to find, (laughs) we have all, everybody is searching, 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 searching outside of themselves. And the one piece that I realized it was, I was like, whoa, whoa, all like home is here inside of me. It is here. Like, and it really, actually, I remember it physically being like where my heart is located, like right yeah, there. Yeah, no. And I was like, oh, that is also where all my source energy is. That is where all the answers lie. They're not in my head. They're here within me, deep inside me. Oh, yeah. And and even and it was and it was so incredible because since doing this work, I stopped searching out there for the answers. 
I stopped searching out there. Like, I don't need another self-help book. I don't need another, like the answers <laughs> are within me, but you know, I'll still keep reading and learning. There's no doubt about that, but it's not this longing. And also I don't feel lost anymore. That is the other piece. And I can imagine, um, I knew enough about alcohol. Um, you know, my dad, dad is an alcoholic. Um, I saw alcohol abuse all around me in all parts of society. I worked in bars. I used to get hammered as a 20 year old, you know, and, um, you know, and thinking that was just what you do. Like these are all the societal constraints <laughs> that are upon us. And we just follow blindly these paths. And whereas, um, so I knew enough about alcohol that for me, like I wouldn't turn to it as my aid, but a lot of other people don't see that they fall immediately into that pattern. Um, and I see how easy it is to allow that to happen. Um, but what I love about these plant medicines, it, it's an opportunity to, to find your soul, to go home and find all the answers there and release yourself from these constraints of society. Yeah, that's, that's it. It's the disconnection, you know, like what you're talking about. Uh, this, the second that we start lying to ourselves, or we take on somebody else's belief that's not ours, we're, we're disconnecting from ourselves. Mm -hmm. And actually, uh, one of the latest things that they're finding out about addiction and stuff like that is that the opposite of addiction is connection. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't necessarily mean connection with other people, although that is also true. It means connection to yourself. Because like you said, once you meet your soul, and once you find that, uh, find your genuine self and you drop all the things that you picked up throughout your life that aren't you and aren't actually what you love and like your whole perspective and if your perspective changes your whole environment changes and you don't the, the key to solving the addiction problem is the showing people how beautiful life is because if you love life you're not going to try to escape it and one of the easiest ways to love life is to be deeply connected to yourself and, and know what you want know who you are and what you want so when somebody comes, I want to talk more about the addiction center uh, or the detox center. So when, you know, when individuals are coming to you, they're coming to you on their own free will, right? They're like, they are, <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I know they're not being dragged into but what I'm saying is, <laughs> no, no, they, that's good. They somehow discover that this is another opportunity. They have been suffering from addiction and with addiction um, for a very long time and they discover, so they come to you and, and do they even have a sense of really what's going to happen? Actually, yes. Usually the, that's actually a problem is, is what they'll do is they'll, they'll be so nervous. Sometimes they'll go online and they'll read everything that they can find online. And most of what's online is wrong. <laughs> anyway, oh, okay. Okay, um, so. so yeah, so usually they do, but they know the wrong things. Um, but sometimes they just come here with complete trust and it's beautiful because if they don't know what's going to happen and they just come here and actually the more close to rock bottom somebody is and the more desperate they are when they come i know it's a terrible experience for them when it's happening mm -hmm. but deep inside i'm like yes you know i'm actually excited when they come like that because i know it's going to work because a boga works so much better when we get out of our own way yeah. and when you're in rock bottom like that it's it's perfect yeah. um but to, to go back to what you said about them uh choosing to come here, um, we have a very extensive uh, intake process. So even if it's for the psycho-spiritual retreats or the detox retreats, um, we get a lot of, there's, as you can see with Michael Pollan's new book, I don't know if you're familiar, that came out, um, the popularity of ayahuasca and different things like that. It's, it's become very popular, plant medicines. Mm -hmm. And you have a lot of tourists out there or people that just want to experience it. Mm -hmm. um, Without, a, without an understanding or respect for the traditions it comes from or any of the, of the background like you were mentioning before. Um, so 
we don't usually like to work with those people. Uh, we, we try to make sure that someone really wants to come uh, and that they're genuine. And because, because it actually won't work. Uh, you know, the, uh, aboga is a miracle. I, I'm amazed by it every day. But I know one thing, and it's if somebody shows up to the retreat and they're not being honest about uh, why they're there or they think that they don't need help or they're just coming to explore, um, they don't have the same results as everybody else. And mm -hmm. so um, it just means they're probably not ready. You know, mm -hmm. later in their life, they might come at a different time. I know for me, uh, I took a boga uh, two different times in the very beginning. And one time I definitely wasn't ready the first mm -hmm. time. Um, so it's just important. So yeah, so we definitely make sure that they want to come, especially also for the detox. But to be honest, the detox clients are very different. Um, they're coming from a place of desperation. Yeah. So they just want to do whatever it takes to, to be clean and normal again. And they are so grateful on the other side of it, you know, that it's actually after, once they've completed the detox part and that they're, they like wake up and they're like, oh, and you know, what's crazy. I can see it leave. Like, I swear to God, I can see it leave their body. And from that point on, when it's gone, they're so amazed and so grateful that the rest of the ceremonies, the rest of their time with us is very easy. It's like completely easy because they know now. They're like, oh, this is something. And they they get real honest and they they open up. And yeah, and that's that's the key to healing is the truth. Yeah, I never thought that anybody would be able to resist medicine. And I learned that that is actually <laughs> true because, um, you know, this couple that I work with, they have a lot of couples who come to them who are getting divorced or having a lot of, um, you know, troubles in their relationships. They're really struggling in life with all, all different things, addictions, um, relationship struggles, everything. And but uh, there was one couple that I said, you know, you go like, you know, my husband and I had this, had this incredible experience. It has forever changed. Like we, and we were not getting divorced. We went just because we wanted to experience something together that would strengthen our relationship. And I couldn't even mm -hmm. begin to express, like, you think you're an amazing communicator. You think you're in love. You think that you have a good relationship and then you go and you realize <laughs> that there is this other side like not even that other side like you if you think you're a great communicator you can be a phenomenal communicator because once you realize you know that you can soften and speak from this place within you that you never thought like you you think you know what vulnerability is let let me <laughs> yeah. let the medicine teach you about vulnerability right and and now it you know it went from us being passing ships in the night because we're so busy with our businesses and everything to like waking up early to have two hour conversations and staying oh, up beautiful. at night, you know, and, and just being able to communicate at such a deeper level and have, a, you know, just such a deeper level of intimacy, intellectual, you know, spiritual, emotional, physical, everything that we never thought ever, like, you know, and we were the couple that were like, if we died tomorrow, we would have been the happiest couple in the world. And just to huh. these levels, but it, it's because we stripped away all of these layers that we didn't even know were weighing us down. Right. Mm. And um, so anyway, so just talking about that, but the whole point of that story was that um, we sent this couple 
And it was interesting how much resistance, even though that they were willing to go once they were there and in the medicine that they were able to just literally shut themselves off, like actually say, no, I don't want to explore that. No, I don't want to go there. No, I'm not going to allow my heart to open up. And, you know, that was with, and, and just knowing that though was healing in itself for this particular individual. So I can imagine how that works. And you brought another good point up too, which is hitting rock bottom. And I know for my clients that come to me, they've been told they're going to be put on more medications. They've been told they have three months to live. They've been told that um, they're going to have surgery. They might need an amputation, have brain surgery, things like that for them. It's like, they've tried everything for years and nothing worked. The medications and surgeries didn't work. And it's when they hit rock bottom, it's when they surrender. And then they go, I'm willing to do this. And then all of a sudden we see this huge, profound healing. There's no resistance and they're willing to chop the vegetables, eat the food. They don't care that it's not smothered in sodium. They don't care that it's not a burger and fries. Like they're just like, they're willing to allow the food and all the nutrients to just to consume it and to not judge it and to eat it and to let go of all their, um, uh, predispositions, their ideas of what food is. And once they let go of all of that, then it's amazing. Like they reverse their illnesses so quickly. Whereas the clients that come in and they are like resisting, you know, yeah. just like the individual I sent, they're resisting and they're like, why do I have to eat this? And really like, how come I can't have a burger? And why can't I drink beer? And you know, I have to <laughs> give up smoking. And I'm like, well, I can't even work with you. But that resistance is there. I mean, it is an actual physical stressor from the brain on the body, on the liver, on the intestinal tract. And we know that that resistance in the brain literally suppresses the immune system totally and so i imagine it's the same thing as well like when somebody comes in if they haven't hit their rock bottom yet it's like hang on a second and come back to us when you have because the healing will be profound after that yeah the rock bottom is the truth you know it's yes. inarguable like they can't pretend anymore so all those beliefs and patterns like you said before whether it's a belief about food or you know um just a pattern or a relationship with food or something like that in your space uh, when they hit rock bottom or a desperate place, it's kind of like, you know, near death experiences or anything like mm -hmm. that. Uh, they're forced to look at the truth, the reality. It's like a real hard truth. And it's actually something we're all going to have to face anyway, right? Like the truth that we're going to die. Yeah. Um, so it's a gift to be able to face that early on in your life or at any point in your life, because then it gives you that chance to kind of see the truth of your situation yeah. and, and think like, oh, maybe these beliefs or maybe these patterns aren't working out for me. Maybe I should listen to somebody else or, or listen to myself more importantly. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful thing, actually. And with the, it, it is a beautiful thing seeing that truth. And I know that for a lot of people, that truth is hard because of the trauma that many individuals have suffered mm -hmm. from and suffered through and with. Um, you know, the trauma that they've caused others as well as a result of that ancestral patterning that gets transferred on, you know, if you've been abused, you're most likely to abuse other people unless you've, you know, faced that truth within yourself. And so, so what is, how do you hold space for individuals when they go into the medicine and then they, they, they do, they see these truths, they're face to face with them, their traumas, their experiences, um, because integration is a really important part um, of doing any kind of plant medicine and ceremony work and how does root healing hold space for that? Awesome. Uh, yeah, 
basically integration comes for us integration comes so we have two ceremonies so there's a day of integration in between and at the end of the retreat um, where we'll take them to the beach or on a hike or something and talk about it but what you're talking about when uh when they're facing the truth of trauma or anything like that usually that starts to come up from the moment they arrive actually so we have to kind of hold space from from the very beginning even on our initial calls with them um they need to trust us you know and and they need to really feel comfortable in order to open up so that's kind of where we start like the we we make sure that the first day the ceremony is until their second night here so the first day that they arrive they have a whole day to settle in and kind of get to know us and know our team and the rest of the people there so that they can feel safe and kind of land at our center and then we get into the work the next day where we're, we're what we do is we have them write down questions right um and they they'll already have like their intention for the ceremony and a lot of times it'll be rooted around that trauma but they'll write down questions that they want answers to and then we'll kind of work through those questions with them um and make sure like help them to form it correctly and stuff for the ceremony uh but then once they've taken the medicine so before they before they take the medicine we do a fire talk around a fire and they'll we'll give them kind of witty teachings and and really uh kind of it, it holds space with the Bwiti tradition around it. So the Bwiti tradition is kind of like the container that they take the medicine in. And then once they start taking the medicine, actually, thank God for us, um, it takes away the sting. So um, whether we help or not, actually, a boga, one of the first things it's going to do is first it kind of detoxes the body and then detoxes the mind. Uh, so it'll take away all sorts of like crazy beliefs or societal constructs or cultural things or even movies and things like that. Uh, and that'll be like a very fast stage of kind of detoxing the mind where it's all going out. It doesn't really make sense. Um, so that's why we do two ceremonies, because sometimes that'll take the whole first ceremony. But then after that's over, they get to a point where they're kind of it's very organized and they're they're going like file by file, kind of reflecting uh, and it's it is, it's expressed differently for each person, but in general, they're going file by file and looking through their life and seeing the truth of those situations. So, mm -hmm. could be a traumatic event for me. One of one like a lighter one that I experienced was I uh, used to be afraid of like public speaking or being in groups and stuff like that. And I remembered this one time this teacher pulled me up in front of the class and kind of like mocked me in front of the class, like things like that. But usually, it's you know more difficult and challenging things as well. And so the aboga kind of like brings you back to that memory in a very clear and uh, conscious way. And then you review that memory and you see the truth of the situation. And then by seeing the truth of it, it's kind of like what we were just saying about rock bottom. It kind of strips it of all of its uh, effect on you. Mm -hmm. And it changes your relationship to that memory. And it actually makes it more of like a wisdom type relationship where, so that you can look back at it and be like, oh, okay, and, and know where that comes from and actually be able to have compassion for other people, compassion for yourself in future situa situations. But where do we come into play? We're kind of sitting, we're always with you. So we, from the moment that you start taking medicine and that, before this call, I told you it was at night, it's at, you know, usually at 9 p.m. We start at dark because the spirits come out at night. Mm -hmm. um, and then when, by the time they're in the temple space, we're with them constantly, like the whole time and uh, helping them to the bathroom, helping them with their puke buckets. Um, but really the most important thing is the psycho-spiritual journey where um, we 
I can't tell you exactly how it goes, but we use those questions and we connect them directly to their own soul. And I know how ridiculous this sounds uh, because I also used to be very science oriented and you know, atheist at one point, agnostic at one point, uh, then Buddhist, but the kind that's not, you know, religious. So it's, it just sounds crazy to even say this sometimes still, but it's amazing. Like every single person almost at our retreats meets their soul face to face. And when that happens, um, everything changes and they start getting answers to the, to their questions and a new, like that connection that's been lost that might've led to addiction, that might've led to any of the things that they do um, just by connecting to their soul. I, once we get to that point in their journey, we know that they're good because uh, that connection alone is like a traumatic, uh, challenging, like anything traumatic or challenging in their life just totally goes away. And uh, so from that point, so they, so they go through the psycho-spiritual journey uh that's about basically it's just us guiding them so because like to help them kind of through the process and it's actually buiti uh created so the misoko buiti are the ones that work uh there's like four or five i think five branches of buiti misoko contains all of them and so one of them that you would love is like the study of plants and herbs and stuff like that in the jungle other ones are you know actually one of them is the study of women things like that but Misoko contains them all. So they're like experts at healing. And they created this psycho-spiritual journey. And uh, they use that to like anytime somebody in their community was messed up or something like that. So that so they have the initiation initially, but let's say somebody like stole something or started drinking or doing whatever, then they would bring this in. Um, and so that's what we do at all of our all of our like normal retreats. We do it at our detox retreats after they've been done detoxing. Um, and then the following day is processing day. And I smile when I say this just because you think that it would be over when you do the ceremony, right? You think, okay, the temple, we take them back to their rooms uh, during the daytime. As soon as the sun comes up, we take them back to their rooms. And then once they're in their rooms, it's a whole different type of experience. So in the, in the temple, I call it, we call it the temple, but it's like where we hold ceremony space. In that space, there's uh, Buiti music playing the whole time and that actually helps and guides them. It's actually one of the most important things outside of the medicine itself. Um, and it's very unique music. I invite anyone listening to this to just go look on YouTube for Buiti music. It's pretty remarkable. They actually use the first two instruments of all time. It's a mouth bow and the harp. They created the harp. I always attributed the heart with like, you know, Europe and Greece. Exactly. And stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So uh, yeah, but no, they make it out of the jungle. Um, but so that so the music is is playing that whole time, and it's it's uh, it, the music itself can be healing. But then when they get back to their room, uh, they're kind of alone with themselves in their room. I mean, we're right there, and we're checking on them every fifteen minutes, <laughs> five minutes, but they feel very alone with themselves and actually the phase of a voga changes to one where it's kind of like a bomb went off inside of them and all of the stored uh, traumas stored emotions and things that they've been suppressing like because a lot of that's just stored in the body is now at the surface and so they're kind of laying there and they're feeling it on its way out 
And much like I said, how it kind of takes the sting away when they're looking at the traumas in the ceremony space, this isn't as intense. It's not like you're feeling every emotion all at once, but you do just feel emotional and it is kind of passing through. Uh, and then as that's happening, they're getting like crazy insights about their life and realizations and epiphanies constantly. For me, this is my favorite stage of, of the aboga experience. But basically during that stage, our role for holding space is to constantly check on them. And then I'll just pop in there and I'll be like, what are you thinking about? Mm-hmm. Like, where's your head at? Because all of it comes from what they're thinking. So the way that they're thinking in that time uh, it gives them the chance to kind of break those cycles and patterns of thinking and, and redirect it. So, so if we were just going to do one ceremony, right? So you have the ceremony, then they go to the processing day. And then the next day is integration day. That's kind of like a small version of what the whole retreat is. Mm-hmm. On integration day, what we're doing is we're giving them the Bwiti teachings. Like we're listening to them about their experience and kind of talking to them. But we're also doing that within the Bwiti context. So we're giving them Bwiti teachings related to what they're telling us. And we're helping them to apply it in real life. And one of the crazy things about a boga is the neuroplastic effects. And that was something you and I talked about before, but it's pretty remarkable. Like a boga gives you the ability to rewire your brain mm-hmm. and completely create new patterns. And that's why integration is so important. You know, we're, we're like harassing our clients after they leave because we know how important it is. And they feel great. They're like, no, I'm fine. I got this. And we're like, just listen a few more times yeah. um, because it's so important. And I'm glad you mentioned that because that's actually one of the things that gets overlooked, particularly at like Ibogaine clinics or something like that. They just like pump them full of Ibogaine and get them off the drugs. And then they send them home with like nothing, no tools to work yeah. with. Um, so yeah, so that's that's kind of like our approach to integration is very much uh, it's we we leave it up to them. We don't force them to do meetings with us, but we also we've even like automated emails. We reach out to them constantly yeah. um, because it's so important. Because actually, the first six months, Aboga will stay with you for six months. It'll it's been tested in in a liver for I think it's up to a month. It still shows in the liver as nor ibogaine. Um, but actually what we know in Bwiti is that it stays with you for like up to six months, as long as you don't drink or take drugs or do certain things and kind of gives you training wheels for your life. So as they're going about their lives, a is there with them and it's helping them to like, anytime they have an important choice or something that comes up, it kind of shows back up and it gives them a pause for a second. And it like, it's like, well, what do you want to do here? Do you remember your ceremony? Yeah. Uh, and no, I know it sounds crazy, but this is actually, this is how well, it works. It's and not cr- like I would have said, yes, that sounds crazy a year ago, but now just through my experiences, my lived experiences, um, which uh, for me has been the most transformational thing I think I've ever done in my life is, and I've done a lot in my life. I've not been like a recluse in my house. Like I have experienced the world traveling. I have done many, you know, but this has been probably the most profound And I know exactly what you mean, because um, this past week, you know, it's been a tough few months for us, for our business. It's been, you know, COVID hit us hard. We have restaurants. Um, Most restaurants didn't survive. You know, we were one of the few that did. Mm -hmm. And then right after COVID, like the world opened up, all of a sudden we had no staff. Like, so it's been so wild. So good problem. Yes. And the one thing I noticed is 
my ability to stay grounded through all of this. But I did have a moment last week where I was like really frustrated. You know, my husband and I don't argue, but in this particular case, I was like, I am mad. But it was interesting because the old me would have let myself be mad, let it bottle up, let me become irritated and irritable and snappy and, you know, all of that. Whereas this time I was like, I'm angry. Like I could actually feel my emotions. I can actually see myself as I was behaving in that moment. I could still see myself, you know, like it was, and that pause that you talk about is very real because being in touch with yourself allows you to see yourself in action in my experience and actually be able to make a choice. Whereas before, just be very, very reactive to everything and then blame everybody else, not take any responsibility, because this is one thing that this plant medicine experience has taught me, is it teaches you to be responsible for yourself, to not pass on the blame to anybody else. And I had those direct experiences where I got to go back in my life, see situations that I had had interpreted a certain way. And I did that because of my age. I did that probably because of whatever it was a, you know, protection mechanism or whatever. We all have experiences, but we remember them very differently. And I was able to go back and say, oh, wow, all these years, I thought that happened this way, but it actually happened this way but I have been hanging on to that experience as the way I interpreted it and realizing oh my gosh I didn't need to do that because that's not even how it happened you know absolutely and so this has been what's so cool but I do love that like what you said about that pause it actually does that so you get to be a more conscious human making choices that are going to benefit you but also benefit other people because we are not so reactive yeah, absolutely. And those choices happen in the present moment, right? Exactly. So it's it's bringing us, it's kind of anchoring us into our own lives, you know? Exactly. Yeah, that's a beautiful way of putting it. I want to ask you about the preservation of these plants because of the fact mm-hmm. that we know that for so many Indigenous cultures, anytime, you know, and often most Indigenous cultures don't share the knowledge because when they have in the past, that's when Westerners, settlers, you know, colonizers, we come in and then we rape and pillage all the goodness out of these lands and use it to our own profits. And so um, so there is a, a reservation there around sharing this information with other people. But I mean, you can go online, you can see the Alboga plant. How is it being preserved so that this doesn't happen? Uh, there's a lot of angles <laughs> there. Um... That actually is true for Bogus. So uh, the French came to Gabon in 1885, and obviously there were uh, slave traders and stuff that came to Gabon even before that. Um, from the time that the French arrived in Gabon, the certain different Bwiti uh, people and different people reacted different ways. The people that were stuck in the city uh, couldn't really run or hide from from the French. The people in the south and you know and other you know more like further away from Lieberville parts of Gabon, a lot of them went into the deeper into the jungle to hide and protect these traditions. And then some also just uh, kind of like hid the tradition in plain sight away. What ended up happening though, is much like what happened with like mushrooms and peyote and um, for your listeners, those are just other plant medicines and entheogens that indigenous people work with. Um, Christianity was introduced. And that's been a tool uh, of colonizers for a long time, as we all know. Uh, and it's, it, it kind of, um, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with Christianity, um, but 
the Buiti tradition merged with Christianity within Libreville. Um, and so that was one of the ways, I think at first, kind of like how capoeira was made or something like mm -hmm. that, you know, like, I think at first they might have been adopting the Christianity so that they can continue to practice without being persecuted. Mm. Um, and now it's kind of become just part of how it is. So there's, there are some Buiti and it also tends to be the one most represented in the media that is like kind of blended with Christianity. Um, but the actual tradition itself is, is completely separate and completely different. And the Masoka tradition that I practice was able to be protected and kept true to kind of how it's been practiced for a very long time. Um, so that that is actually, that's been the experience in Aboga as well with colonizers coming, having to hide it. And actually they didn't share Aboga with, uh, they did share some of the French, you know, with the people there uh, in Libreville, they did share it. And they did, the French actually did create something called Lamborine, which is like a, was a pharmaceutical Ibogaine that they were giving for all sorts of things uh, that they discontinued. Um, but, you know, the way that a boga is being used in the traditional Buiti context was protected, like, pretty much up until very, very recently. They didn't want to share it because they need, they felt like they needed to protect it because they knew what would happen. And actually, we're very lucky, or at least I feel very lucky to be alive and be able to be connected to it at this time where they're willing and able, they, not only do they want to share it, they just now want to make sure that the tradition stays with the medicine. Mm -hmm. As it becoming as it's becoming more and more popular and spreading around, you know, and you see these ibogaine clinics popping up, and you see people working with aboga and coming up with like their own ways of doing it, uh, completely removed from the tradition. Uh, it's dangerous, actually. Um, there's a reason that the tradition is with this medicine, mm -hmm. and uh, dangers on a spiritual, mental, and physical level. Um, so anyway, so the tradition, yes, it's been affected. Aboga has been affected that way. And then another thing you brought up was the um, kind of protection of aboga itself, I think you were mm -hmm. asking about. Yeah, the conservation of the plants, you know, what's stopping, for example, the opioid investors from coming in <laughs> and then being like, now we're going to invest in you know, aboga as the net and well, charge millions of dollars for it and rape and pillage the lands where it grows and all of that. Like we know that's happened before in history with so many other plants um, that are both edible and plant medicines and everything. So what's, what's stopping that from happening? Thank you for asking this because actually the tool that those companies are using, um, you know, particularly like highly financed ibogaine clinics because now there's even uh, like publicly traded companies working with ibogaine now like on the US stock market and mm -hmm. stuff. And they're highly financed and they have really good plans, you know? Yeah. Um, so what I'm about to say is a little controversial um, in the sense that I have a different feeling and as does uh, my Buiti tribe that I work with about this. They're actually using reciprocity as a tool to control mm -hmm. the markets. So uh, basically um, I have some notes here, but there's, an organization um, an organization called the IUCN, which is the International Union for Conservation of Nature's Red List or Threatened Species. Um, they are, so the, the, the big problem here is that there's a group and there's a few groups that are calling Aboga endangered and they're saying that it's being poached and that it's being sold on the black market 
and they're creating this kind of problem that they need to solve. Mm. And would you have it, they're French. Um, and they're working with uh, organizations, you know, they're working with, so basically there's this thing called the Nagoya Protocol that, that was created and it was like a, you know, a pact signed by different countries in order to, the intention was good. It was in order to protect indigenous people's rights as their resources and things like that are being used by and benefited by other people. It's mm -hmm. trying to like make sure that they're benefiting from that too. And so under the guise of that, um, certain groups are saying that they're gonna basically teach um, people in Gabon to farm aboga and then sell it to people they've deemed uh, good buyers, you know what I mean? Right. So basically what they're trying to do is they're trying to control who can buy it and who's, who's the good buyers of it and control who's the good sellers of it. And this has been done by colonizers for a long time. Oh, and every, with quinoa, with rice, with coffee, with tea, <laughs> yeah. with like, it doesn't matter. Like this is the same old pattern that puts communities also at war with each other because you have some community members that are like, but we need the money and we're going to get money and let's sign our land over. Let's sign our treaties. Let's sign, oh, yeah. right. It's the same, same old story. Capitalism must be the answer. Right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, so, so, but what's crazy about this though, I, 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 I kind of like overstepped a little bit, but the, what I mentioned, the uh, Union of Conservation uh, Nature's Red List or Threatened Species, they actually said that stable, uh, aboga is stable and of little concern of being endangered. Okay. So actually, and actually if you ask anyone in Gabon, uh, it's, it's, you know, it grows all over there and it's actually grows in Cameroon and stuff like that. There are concerns, like uh, there should, there are concerns, but there's actually a plant called Boa Conga Africana, Africana that contains ibogaine and is highly sustainable. So there's already a solution in another right. plant. So if you're work, if you're talking about ibogaine clinics and ways to treat uh, mm -hmm. addiction and, and still have that access to that medicine, Boa Conga is the answer. Okay. But okay. if you're talking about the preservation of a boga, um, I think my personal idea is that the solution should be to keep it within the Bwiti tradition, right? Mm -hmm. So allow the Bwiti people to manage and control the medicine yeah. and, and, and do what it, with it what they have for thousands of years, which is protect it and, and uh, shepherd it, really. Yeah. Um, and then also keep the tradition with it. Because if you have people that are... Um, giving a boga out or you know serving it and doing ceremonies and things like that and they practice bwiti they're not going to be irresponsible with that medicine mm -hmm. you know and the, the, it, it's just a different way of using it actually you if you keep it in the bwiti context i know this sounds even crazier you need less medicine right one of the crazy things if you buy a boga online and and you put that next to some of our medicine that comes that's been you know ceremonial traditionally grown and ceremonially prepared, um, like they're singing when they're preparing it. It's like this whole thing. One scoop of our medicine would be like five to ten scoops of that medicine. Right. So it's I mean there's just so many angles to this. But the crazy thing about this and that the like. I didn't even realize colonialism and all of this stuff at the level I did until I started doing this work. You know, they're using words like these organizations are using words like poachers, right? 
and black market, which is like even crazier. Uh, it's almost ironic that they use that term because like, how are they determining who's poaching a boga within Gabon, where it comes from? And how are they determining who's selling it on the black market? Is the black market not somebody who's selling it within their French owned organization? Is it anyone, is it a gap? If, if a Gabonese man sells it to another Gabonese man or woman, are they uh, poachers or are they selling it on the black market? Yeah. It's crazy. And you know what's even crazier? A boga is already as protected as possible. It's illegal to export a boga from Gabon. It's their national treasure. It's already highly protected. But these organizations that are tied to really fun well-funded groups, uh, you know, in Mexico and the United States are, um, you know, trying to make it make it different than it is. And they're painting this whole picture of like endangered aboga, like mm -hmm. people in Gabon can't even have access to it and all of this stuff that creating a problem for them to solve. Right. And yeah, which dangerous. is which is again the that that is the true path of colonization. Like let's create a problem and we'll be the solution providers and we'll come in and we'll solve it for you. And then we've helped you and we are the good people. But meanwhile what was the problem before the problem was it originated from the colonizers to begin with um okay so this is very Sorry, uh, i hope I, that made sense no it for me it does i hope for you the okay. audience that this makes sense as well um so one so i know you have a detox center in portugal and you also have a retreat center and you also have a retreat center in um in gabon as well correct mm -hmm. yeah well it, yeah it's I wouldn't call it a retreat. We call it a retreat center, um, but it's more of like for, for initiations and retreats in Gabon, I'm talking about. Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so it's, it's a totally different experience. It's sometimes people aren't coming there, you know, particularly for healing or addiction. They're coming there to like, you know, get initiated, do rites of passage, things right. like that. Right. And but a physical location in Portugal. I saw, I think I saw like We have two physical locations here in Portugal. We actually separate the detox from uh, the psycho-spiritual. So there's just two different locations. For okay, two, okay, okay. I, I know I saw one online. It was very beautiful. I saw an aerial shot of it. It was gorgeous. Um, and I really can't wait to go there. So uh, let's move into how Iboga is also used for individuals who have chronic illnesses like MS or Parkinson's autoimmune disorders. And you have direct experience that with your partner who suffered from MS, correct? Yeah, yeah. Uh, my fiance has MS or had MS. Uh, I do want to disclaimer this as, as we, I, we talked about before, mm -hmm. but uh, this is all like this isn't medical information and yeah. this is just personal experience this is anecdotal and, that's okay yeah. yeah 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 totally there are studies which i can share if you want to put them in the show notes i can give you all like yes, the scientific please. studies and stuff like that but um but yeah it kind of depends what you're talking about so for my personal experience with my fiance uh the um she had ms and she was on a medication i think the new she was on two different ones ty sabri and acrovis um, that's actually how I knew about you. Um, and then, yeah, so she, I think she was on Acrovis last, which is like something you have to take like every six months and it's like really strong. Like they're putting steroids in her and stuff like that at the same time. And it's really hard for me to be at infusions with her. Um, but 
you know, she was with me before I started doing this training and with me as I started to do it. And she kind of saw the change in me. And then she finally did a ceremony herself and uh, started to reconnect to her soul and herself. Um, and then she, like, basically, we couldn't go to Gabon with her because she, the medication that she's on, Acrovis, shuts down the immune system. Mm -hmm. Like, so if she went to Gabon and she got malaria or any of those things, that would be it. So we had to take a huge risk um, in order for her to go to Gabon and kind of get a treatment for this. Um, and I will say also the treatment that she got wasn't just a boga in Gabon. Um, and But this is something that we're bringing to our center. Um, and we are going to open it up to like scientific study and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, but basically, one of the main things about the other stuff that she was taking is just getting that medicine out of her body, detoxing all the medicines that she was on for so long, because that's actually a big part of the problem. And I'm only I'm speaking from outside experience, but um, basically, she stopped taking the medication, and we had to wait a certain amount of time before it was like her immune system would be back enough for it to be okay. She wasn't able to get the yellow fever vaccine, but she had to get a doctor's note, which is like required to go there. And and then we went and uh, she did many ceremonies. She got initiated. She got a spiritual name. It was beautiful. She met the first woman. I know it sounds crazy. Um, but after that experience, we haven't had a problem. And that was that was December, um, you know, and she's she does microdose uh, aboga sometimes just for ceremonies and stuff, because we actually have to take the medicine to work with the medicine. Um, but other than that, it was, you know, pretty much that time in Gabon, which was like two to three weeks of uh, taking that medicine and the boga. And she hasn't, she's hasn't been on her medication now since it was like, I think it was like six months before December that we went. So it's almost a year now that she hasn't wow. taken the medication. Um, we haven't worked with many people yet that have MS, um, but I personally have worked with people with Parkinson's disease. Uh, and this, you know, this, the, the most amazing thing was this guy didn't even tell us he had it, but it was so obvious, like he was, you know, shaking and doing all the things. Um, and then after two ceremonies, totally gone on our integration calls, no shakes, uh, all the way up, I, you know, we, I don't know when the last time we talked to him was, but this was in July last year. And yeah, the last time we talked to him, still no shakes. Um, this absolutely needs to be studied, but I can guess to kind of what this is, what the reason is for this. Yeah, I'd love to and know. it's yeah because Parkinson's works on the dopamine receptors, right? So I mean, is is a result of them not working correctly. And I'm not a scientist. My sister's a neuroscientist; she could answer this way better. But uh, basically, it's the dopamine receptor uh, getting shut down and damaged, or whatever. A boga and the neuroplastic effects are both protective of those and uh, repairing actually, and actually allow for new neurons to be formed. And so it kind of like counteracts like the effects of Parkinson's directly even. Um, and so that's why you're able to see the effects so quickly too, like their shakes just stop after. And, you know, we're developing a plan, like a, a long-term treatment plan, because based just based on our own personal experiences with this and some of the literature out there, which I'll share with you, um, the effects are like crazy. Like uh, the, the scientific studies 
showed 40% improvement um, with everyone like that, that, Ib- that they studied. With Iboga or um, Ibogaine? With Ibogaine. Yeah, yeah, Ibogaine. Okay, so yeah, even yeah. with Ibogaine, not Iboga, it showed in relationship to individuals with Parkinson's? Or MS? Yeah, yeah, or... absolutely. Oh, no, this is Parkinson's, sorry. Parkinson's, yeah, yeah. okay. Because again, MS, I only have that anecdotal uh, yeah. evidence. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, so with Parkinson's, it's the, the scientific study showed 40%, and my personal experience was seeing it firsthand. Firsthand, yeah. And you know, this is one of the things is, I, I you know, most of my clients who come to me, they, they say, where's the scientific evidence? And I go, okay, no problem. Like, let me show you that beta carotene is beneficial to the body and the pectin and malic acid and potassium and sodium but isn't that obvious yes so but (laughs) but a lot of people they want to know for example that this complete plant-based nutrient-dense lifestyle has been studied but we don't this is not the way scientific studies are designed you know you don't study an entire complete therapy because a it has to be you know randomized it needs to be a clinical trial it needs to be fda approved and there needs to be a budget and that budget indicates that once the science is complete that everybody who invested the 50 million dollars into the study is going to be able to recoup their money plus see profits from it so this is just basic business formula for how the gold standard of medicine, which are randomized control trials are carried out. So, and we have to study one or two variables. Most scientists don't like to study 150 variables that you would find in a whole plant-based diet. Whereas what's really nice with Ibogaine is you can study Ibogaine. You can study, you know, you know, a certain number of variables and you know what you're testing for, which is really fantastic. So to see their scientific studies done on this um, with individuals that have Parkinson, it's, it's, we can do that, which is amazing versus like a plant-based diet, like what I do. Yes, for sure. It's in a sense though, they think that they know and they think that they're measuring, but they actually are measuring a very small piece, you know, but yeah, for sure. It's definitely, uh, and again, I think with those scientific studies, there's so many variables, and so many things that come into play anyway. So, I mean, how accurate, you don't know what that person ate before they came there, what's going on in their yeah. lives or different things like that. So, but it's yeah. doing the best we can. And I do appreciate people wanting to see the science. Um, there's plenty of it on our website. Uh, I think it's important to share because people need to trust and believe in this. And not everyone's going to be on a spiritual path or not everyone's gonna have experience with plant medicines or psychedelics or anything like that. So in order to reach those people, just like how I'm sure it is with you with the food stuff, it's you, you gotta kinda uh, show them that it works. Well, exactly. And this is why anecdotal stories are, everything starts with an anecdotal story. From the very first discovery, it was an anecdotal story. And then somebody said, <laughs> could we replicate that? Okay, and in certain cases we can, and in certain cases we can't. But but what's happened now, and again, this was a separation of church and state, right? Where we used to have faith and we used to have hope and we used to, you know, believe in greater powers, and then it moved to strictly the scientific method. And therefore, if it hadn't been studied, it's not real and it's not proven. And so therefore it's just anecdotal. But we've lost just the basic understanding that everything started from an anecdotal story. It was a whoops, and then a, let's study it. So with something like that, you're just at the forefront of it with doing this work with, you know, Iboga, and eventually it will be studied to the max, just like, you know, the work I'm doing, like now plant-based diets, 
you know, people have been saying for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, yeah. plant-based <laughs> diets are pretty much the way to keep most people alive for long enough without disease. Like you can live to a hundred this way, but then now it's like all of a sudden, well, we have to prove it before we believe it. And finally, like in Canada, they, you know, came up with a Canadian food guide that said, oops, we shouldn't be eating all that red meat and pork and chicken and fish at the levels that we told people to eat for the last 50 years. It actually causes disease. And yes, we need more fruits and vegetables. So finally, we've done that. And then the rest of the world goes, ah, there's scientific evidence that proves it, as opposed to think fruits and vegetables are good and start eating them. Don't always wait for the science to come up. But I love science. I'm a nerd that way. So I think it's fantastic. So um, what are, what are, are you seeing some examples with individuals that autoimmune disorders as well? I'm curious about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but real quick about what you were saying, you can see the colonialism even in that though, because why is yes. the scientific method better than other indigenous methods? Exactly. The Bwiti the that I know are more scientists than even my sister who's a neuroscientist. They're studying everything, you know, they're studying life. That's what Bwiti is. So, you know, who's to say which science is better and it's, there's it just seems very colonial to uh for us all to always pick one but i still i love it too so to answer your question though about um, autoimmune diseases we uh i haven't personally worked with too many people my partners have um, mugenda who is, is the shaman has worked with like probably hundreds um and yeah it's basically a lot of times and i don't know if this is controversial to say but uh, a lot of times it's caused by our own mind you know, in our own thinking and our own experience. So if with those types of conditions, if you can heal your relationship to yourself, for instance, MS, for example, is the immune system attacking the body. Yeah. It's attacking your own neurons. So that's just a, you know, it's like a psychosomatic representation of, of oftentimes how they actually feel about themselves. So without even the physical healing effects that, are, that we can show with these scientific studies, on the other side, on the spiritual and mental side of things, that's where the real healing happens because you're healing the root cause of that condition. Yeah. Um, and you're doing that by changing their relationship to themselves, basically. Well, I love that you brought that up too, because um, there, one of my clients just told me she's African-American. She has many individuals in her family that are continuously passing away from diabetes and heart disease and autoimmune disorders and all of these very preventable and reversible diseases. But I mean, she's living in the heart of America with the worst medical system, the worst food system, the worst education system, you know, like, it's just like Ugh. every, it's like, everything is like wham, wham, wham against, um, you know, especially African-Americans or anybody who's indigenous that, you know, they have layers upon layers and upon layers of trauma from slavery and colonization and being Ooh. stripped from their lands and, you know, families being, you know, raped and tortured and everything. And, um, but there's this book she was talking about called the Destroying the Spirit of Rejection. And I put that out there to people because she was talking, um, she, because there were, it, it's written, it's really well done, she said, and there's a lot of studies that show that um, for African Americans, they suffer from diabetes and autoimmune disorders at four to eight rates higher than non-African Americans. And for mm. years, people thought it was genetic while well, you're black 
and your, you know, your genes predict that you're going to be overweight and suffer from these conditions. Whereas that has been proven false over and over and again. Um, and the same case was made for indigenous peoples across North America as well. And that's been proven not true. It's not genetic. But what this book says is that it is the layers of trauma, the layers of abuse, the layers of pain that people have been suffering with that is actually contributing more to their diseases than anything else. Um, and which from a scientific perspective, we see that in the neuroscience because we now know, like within the last decade, that stress in the mind directly affects the body. It creates pain, it creates, oh, yeah. for example, fibromyalgia, it creates all of these different things. Now, of course, in science, we're not allowed to say this causes that, but now they're seeing a direct correlation, which is pretty amazing, which is pretty- Oh amazing. yeah, those, those stress hormones destroy us. Exactly, <laughs> and so I can see how iboga helps with that because once you heal the root cause of that stress, the stress is gone, and then therefore those stress hormones are not there, and then our body is free from the effects of that. Yeah, absolutely. But it also even helps on the, on the level of hormones and balancing the brain and bringing it back to normal. Um, because a lot of times those are patterns. So like, let's say something triggers you or reminds you of a traumatic experience, the, the stress response or the hormonal response on the brain is going to be the same as it was when it almost just happened. Exactly. You know, a lot of times. So you, you, first of all, you got to heal that thing so that it doesn't continue happening and you can break that pattern. But also it's a lot easier. You know, I was actually just doing an integration call yesterday with a guy who said that probably the biggest thing for him was that he doesn't have this like tense, intense reaction to things. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like for him, he, you know, the anxiety or the stress of it made it impossible to make a different choice or to make, to fix that pattern because it was too intense. Yeah. So when it fixes the hormonal balance and, and rewires the brain and kind of levels things out to like baseline, and then also heals that root problem, then when they're faced with those things, those patterns might come up because, right, you still have to rewire your brain and they might yeah. still have those patterns there, but it's not so intense and, and it's manageable. Yeah, no, it's pretty remarkable. One of the pieces that we said we would chat on, and I know we're almost coming up to an hour <laughs> and a half, and I did predict we'd probably have to do another episode. Um, you had talked about um, case studies with hep C and HIV, and then of course, ancestral trauma. I wanted to oh, good. <laughs> cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so the the HCV uh, was actually personal experience. I used to train Muay Thai, and uh, I, I it's kind of gross, but I used to train at a gym where they would have fights every night the night before, and so I would come and train there the next day, and there would be blood on the. <laughs> I didn't know any better. Blood on the mats and things like that in the ring is which is where we would train. And so I actually tested positive for it. And at that time I had already been familiar with the boga and uh, had some aboga TA, which is just like the total alkaloid extract. And so I took advantage of the experience. Um, I didn't go all the way with it, but I wanted to do like a small personal study where I went and I got the uh, viral load levels tested. And then I took a microdosed uh, TA for, I think it was five days. And then I went and got tested again. And the viral load was dramatically reduced. Um, and I have both of those. Um, I got to find them, but I have them in my email somewhere. And yeah, and it was, it was pretty amazing to see. So that was my own personal experience with that. But uh, actually, one of the things 
the side effects of a boga, like so ibogaine is used to treat addicts, right? So a lot of addicts, intravenous needle users tend to have HIV um, and or other uh, intravenous, like HCV is only really passed by blood as well. Right. Um, so one of the side effects and things that they realized, and I'll also share those studies with you, was that all of a sudden these, uh, these addicts who were using ibogaine to treat their addiction, all of a sudden their HIV and H HCV, whatever it be, viral load count dropped, dropped dramatically. Um, and so that's, you know, in those scientific studies, you can see that. But on a personal level uh, and in retreats and stuff, we see people healing herpes and things like that almost every time. That is amazing. That is amazing. I'm going to definitely dive into the science of that and cut those studies from you. I'll well. send you a big packet. Yeah. After yeah. This. <laughs> and, and just for anybody out there, if you find studies online, um, but you're not able to access them, please let me know because as a researcher, I get access to all every single study ever published. So if you guys ever need anything, you should you should not have to pay for it. And that might be illegal, but whatever. Um, I think all research should be open source and available, especially because for a lot of us, it's our taxpayers that are paying for a lot of those studies to be done, but then they don't give you access unless you pay. Um, okay, now so I can bother you instead of my sister. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, bother your sister as well, but yeah, definitely bother me because I'm happy to Just do that. Uh, no, 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 bother me for sure. We need to get the research out there as well. Um, and then- Oh, ancestral trauma. Yes, let's talk about ancestral trauma because that was a, um, and I'm doing it right in the final moments, but I think- Oh, sorry. Part. No, we can keep going. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, so let's talk about that because this is a piece that has been something that I just experienced recently um, in a ceremony, but uh, yeah, I'd love to hear more about it from your perspective. Yeah, I'll be super quick. I mean, basically like, you know, I did my own research after my own personal experiences with this, and there's been some really cool studies about, uh, well, not cool, it's really sad, actually, but Holocaust survivors and their family members having diseases and things like that, kind of like what you were just mentioning before, and also even Civil War uh, su survivors and their children, you know, they did studies on the lifespans and things like that, and so we know just on a physical level that uh, things get passed down you know, and we know that genetically it gets passed on. And then we know with epigenetics that we can actually uh, affect that. So based on our diet or our life choices or experience, different genes will be expressed. Um, and yes, those get passed down. So that's kind of where uh, ancestral kind of trauma comes into play. And in my experience, I've had some pretty cool things because almost everyone has some level of this. Um, mm -hmm. And one of the, you know, while I mentioned that, that people are going through and reviewing their own lives in the ceremony, a lot of times they're also reviewing, uh, they're finding things from their parents. Uh, they're talking to ancestors. And I know this is, this sounds nuts, but this is, come and, come and try it out. I promise we can get you there. Um, and yeah, and so basically my own personal experience um, I had, like you were mentioning alcoholism, I have drug addiction and a lot of trauma and stuff in my family line all the way back, sexual trauma, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, my own mother was uh, struggled with mental illness her whole life and eventually commit suicide as a result of a lot of these things. Um, so that was like a big part of my healing. And I remember in Gabon, uh, this experience was so profound because I had such a deep level of hatred for the family members that did that to her and abandoned mm -hmm. her it was like beyond hatred, you know? And what happened was a boga 
it likes it it's it's so perfect for each person and so what it did though is it just took me and it showed me them and then it showed me them them that what happened to them is when they were young mm -hmm. and then it went back and then it went back and i saw the whole chain of those events and the whole chain of that thing happening yeah. and by the time that i was done with that experience i i had i couldn't feel anything but compassion for them for those same people that did that and i knew that that had healed me on a physical level but on another thing that I mentioned on our call before, we actually just had a woman here who's, um, I think it was her grandfather was a high ranking Nazi. And uh, she puked probably more than uh, most guests have. <laughs> she was a wonderful German woman. It's amazing to think that uh, she's a descendant of a Nazi because she's like the sweetest lady ever. And uh, she came there and she, had such an intense experience you know what I mean and at the end of it she said that she felt like she puked up world war ii wow <laughs> and yeah and she's even gonna write like she said she's gonna write a book and and name it that but uh but that really stuck with me because uh it just it it showed like how much we carry from like the past and from uh, all of our things and you know, it's kind of like giving birth or something, you know, it was like, it's so profound to finally let those things go and give them up. Yeah, I, I really love that you brought up those stories and um, talking about this. It's the same experience that I had as well recently for me is, you know, I've been um, all too aware of how much sexual abuse there is in the world, right? Like right now, you know, one in five women are consistently getting raped every, and I think it's like every single minute in North America, it's like, I have to go back and look at that stat, stat but it is, it is appalling because we think that that is from, you know, a hundred years ago or 500 years ago that that happened, but it's still happening today. And so much anger around um, men, so much anger around, um, and the thing is, is that anger, my mom passed that on to me, her anger, at men from everything that she experienced in her life. And then of course it got passed on from her, from her mom and so on and so on. But I came in and thought, well, we can't be angry at anybody, but I was still hanging on to that anger. So even though my mind was able to recognize that, okay, abuse goes back, you know, generations and generations. So therefore we can't really be mad, but I was hanging on to that anger. The anger mm. was still there. And for me, I got to release so much of that anger so that exactly that it's truly, it's not my mind feeling the compassion or understanding it compassionately. It's actually my being understanding it. Yeah, and then since absolutely. then, and, and that's the difference is we are so trying to be so intellectual in this state of the world now, because we have books and we have the internet and we have access to all of this science. But until we actually feel it in our bodies, the healing, I believe, hasn't really happened. We can intellectualize it till we're, you know, blue in the face, um, but we need to feel it in our body. And we're sometimes not cognitively aware. We're not conscious that we hang on to these emotions, this oh, sadness. Sure. And that's what I found for me is that once I released the anger that went back generations, I also then was allowed to just feel sad just feel sad for the state of the world where intellectually I would never allow myself to feel sad because I told myself, well, we have to be hopeful, but we need to experience the whole range of emotions that are out reality. There. Yeah. Because sure. this is our reality. And now I feel, and because of that experience, I actually for the first time feel whole. 
because I can actually experience the full spectrum of emotions. And I bet you there's way more emotions that I'm going to feel if I <laughs> seriously go <laughs> through awesome. a poker. But, um, but it, it, it's, it's not just about, well, it is returning to your soul. It's about becoming whole again too. Not being Absolutely. Yeah. So Absolutely. that ancestral healing is really important. Ryan Rich. It has been a pleasure having you on our show. I want to be able to first, I just want to thank you for taking the time because I know you're busy out there helping all of these individuals that come to you from all around the world that want to heal wholly, fully, spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally. So I just want to thank you for the work that you do in the world and taking the time out to share all of this really beautiful, important information with us and our listeners. Um, how do people find you? Uh, rootheeling.com and then for the Gabon retreats it's aboga retreatcenter.com okay perfect we'll um, but I'm also that. on Instagram my spiritual name is at genigo g-h-e-n-i-g-h-o okay beautiful so we will share that with individuals um if you have hit your rock bottom place and want to go to root healing and work with rich and his amazing team um anything else any last minute words of wisdom that you'd like to share with people before we wrap this one up no just thank you nicolette for having me on and and uh thanks for taking the time to do this as well thank you yeah no thank you it is a pleasure i think it's so important to get work like this out in the world because we do have a failed medical system that is really not working for most individuals and i think until we actually um, start to align ourselves with the principles of nature and everything that nature has to teach us. You know, it's important that we all remain open-minded, open-hearted, um, start just exploring, just exploring, learning. Um, and, you know, you use your body as a living laboratory. I use my body as a living laboratory. Not everybody's <laughs> going to do that, but you can just even just take in these stories from all of us and, and see where that could potentially help you in your life as, you know, you're walking through this beautiful world of being spiritual being having a human experience as they say thank awesome. you ryan yeah take care you too so i would love to know your feedback on this podcast please email us at nicolette at richerhealth.ca with all of your questions your feedback your comments anything that you need from us we've got you so let us know what you know, this did, if you have healing stories yourself, please share them with us as well. We would love to know. Um, most of us all have somebody in our lives that is battling an addiction, it could be a food addiction, sex addiction, porn addiction, a uh, drug addiction. We are in the midst of one of the, the only massive opioid crisis that's ever existed. And it is huge. It is destroying families left, right, and center around North America. And it's completely unregulated and, and, and it's condoned by our pharmaceutical industry, our medical system and our governments, and we need to put a stop to it. And so having other healthier plant medicines where there is little to no addictive properties to it and little to no um, side effects, then we need to look into that. And going back to traditional ways of healing is definitely one of the ways that we can do that. So I'm really excited to announce that this is coming out at a really important time in my life because my dad recently 
uh, just started going to AA. He started developing a spiritual practice. It's been 47 years of my life knowing my dad as an alcoholic, and he has finally said no more. He doesn't want that for himself. And the healing that it is initiated in our family by him taking responsibility for his own life, for his self, for his well-being, and to put an end to the addiction by healing his conditioning, by healing his fears, by healing the lack of love that he didn't receive when he was a child, by healing all of the traumas that he is unconsciously um, not aware of or consciously believes to be true. This is where true healing lays for our society. So thank you all for being here for this really important first episode of the year. I can't wait to see you again next week for another episode on the Eat Real to Heal podcast. Bye-bye. 